Well, you may have heard uh, in the newspaper last week, there was an article about an organization based here in Chicago that's trying to get something accomplished. They're trying to get Ronald McDonald to retire. They want the clown to call it quits. And this is their beef with Ronald, no pun intended. They say with the increased childhood obesity rates, Ronald McDonald has too much influence and he's helping empower the obesity rates. Uh, McDonald's responded saying, we use Ronald to tell other people how to exercise as well, so it's not just come eat our food, but we have uh, a plan for him to tell people to exercise. But in short, this organization is saying, Ronald McDonald is bad for your heart. We all know we need to exercise to keep care of our heart. We know we need to eat right. We need to do all those things. And I'm not here to give a guilt trip. I'll let your doctors do that for you. But I do have this question for you today. What is the condition of your heart? Not something that could be tested by a blood pressure, but something that could be only tested by looking within. What is the condition of your heart today? And not just generally speaking, but especially with reference to this very fact that we celebrate, that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead. What is your heart's response to that? Today we're going to look at three responses found in Luke chapter 24 about how people have responded in their hearts to Jesus. And my prayer is that we would see ourselves somewhere in this. The first two responses were their initial responses, and my prayer is that we would be like the third response. And as we progress in this service today, I want you to be thinking about what is the condition of your heart with reference to Jesus? Our sermon is going to be divided up into three parts today. So after this first part, I'll come down, we'll sing some more, and I'll come back and we'll do that three times. And each time, there's a call to response. Be it through song, be it through prayer. And lastly, we'll use those rocks that you received when you first came in. And uh, I'll make that clear as we get to the end. We're going to look at Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, would you open it to that page, to that chapter? If you don't have a Bible, there are several pews, uh, seats in front of you that have Bibles there. Uh, it's on page 885 in that Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, please feel free to take that Bible that's in front of you. It's a gift from us to you. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and we love the fact that you can have one in your home. So if you don't have one, feel free to take it. And if you just don't have one today with you, just open up to page 885. Luke chapter 24. We're going to begin in verse 13. This is taking place on Sunday afternoon. Friday happened. Jesus was crucified. He was placed in a tomb. Saturday was a day of great sorrow. And then it's Sunday. Verse 13 says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. These are two of the disciples, not the, of the twelve that we know of, but two other followers of Jesus. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. They're having a conversation. They're talking about everything they saw in Jerusalem. It was a horrible weekend for them. They had a heart that was filled with disappointment. And Jesus is raised from the dead, 
and begins to walk with them, although their eyes were blinded and they couldn't tell that it was Jesus. Jesus kind of sneaks up on their conversation and begins to listen in. You may have been on the train before and you're talking with somebody and you get the sense that someone sitting next to you is listening on your conversation or maybe you've been the guilty party at the grocery store in line, kind of listening to what the people in front of you are talking about. Well, Jesus joins their conversation. But he joins it not just with an ear, but with a word. Look at verse 16. It says, But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. They're on a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to a city, a village called Emmaus. When you go on a journey, you talk on a journey. You never stop to talk because you're trying to get to your destination. But Jesus asked them a question that made them stop in their tracks. It was a simple question, and it's this. What are you guys talking about? They stopped and they were looking sad. They wore their emotions on their sleeves. And they were kind of confused. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas answered them, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened? there in these days? And he said to them, what things? The people are, are you kidding me? Everybody in Jerusalem knows what just happened and you're going to ask us what we're talking about? So they proceed to give him an answer. It's there in verse 19. He says, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. This Jesus, we knew him. We knew this guy. He was a prophet. He was someone who spoke the words of God. He had great power in his words and in his works. The guy talked the talk and he walked the walk. And this is what caused them great sorrow. They say, our chief priest handed him over to be executed. Their hearts are broken and they're sad. This Jesus was killed. But the greatest reason for sadness is not so much that he died, although it was that. But it's what they say in verse 21. Look there in verse 21. It says this. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. When it came down to it, their hearts were disappointed. They were crushed because they believed Jesus would redeem this people. See, Jesus wasn't asking the questions of, what are you guys talking about? What are these things? He wasn't trying to play dumb, but he's trying to draw out of their hearts what truly was going on in there. And God looks into the hearts of all of us, and he knows what's going on in there, often uh, in ways that we don't even understand. And Jesus was pulling that out. And when it came down to it, their hopes were crushed. They were filled with disappointment. The man they thought would deliver them was dead. And on top of that, it has been the third day now since it happened. Now many of us today might really be able to resonate with these men. This feeling of disappointment. You may come in today with disappointed hearts. Maybe you're disappointed with God. Maybe you expected God to do something that didn't happen and you're disappointed. Maybe you're disappointed by someone in your family a relative who let you down in a very hurtful way. Maybe you're disappointed 
by your job that no longer is, and now you're unemployed. Disappointed by a home that didn't bring peace, and all it's brought is debt and disappointment. Maybe you're disappointed with yourself. You can't get over the things that you've done in the past, and you won't let yourself move on. We all relate to these men in one way or another. We know what it's like to be disappointed. But God doesn't want us to stay at disappointed. He doesn't want our disappointments to prevent us from trusting in Him. And although we may feel disappointed, God is saying, I have hope for you. These men were disappointed. They go on to tell Jesus, on top of these things, some ladies who we know, followers of Jesus like we are, went to his tomb this morning and he wasn't there. And to make matters worse, an angel showed up to them and told them he was alive. I mean, just think of the emotional roller coaster. The guy they thought would redeem their people was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was tortured whipped, beaten, they saw him get nailed to a cross, put in a tomb, dead. Everything just sunk. Disappointment, hopes crushed, despair, and then he's alive? They couldn't gather these things. You're like me, I was thinking, Jesus, this would be a great time to tell them, guys, it's me. It's me. It's Jesus. Look, you know, open your eyes, it's me. But, but he doesn't do that. In fact, what Jesus does in verse 25 is this. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus, what are you doing here? These guys want to know if you're alive and you're scolding them. See, these men thought they needed evidence that Jesus was alive. But God really knew what they needed, and that was an understanding of why these things took place. There are times that we think we know what we need, but God knows what we truly need. And some of you may have come today thinking, I need a spiritual boost. You ever go to Jamba Juice and get those energy boosts? For you, this is it. This is your, your, your carb boost or your protein boost. And you think, this will get me through. And that's what you think you need. But God knows what you truly need, and that's a transformation of your heart. An extreme makeover. and One that Ty Pennington can't do. One that Dr. Phil knows nothing about. Oprah can't make it happen. God alone can make and give this transformation of heart. He can take the disappointment and not let that prevent you from trusting in Him. He knows what you need, even when you don't know what you need. And that's God's call for us. To not let a heart of disappointment stall us and prevent us from living a life of transformation. We're going to sing a song here in just a moment in response to this. And in this song, it's a prayer. Let it be a prayer of your heart. Will you give all to Jesus, all that you have? Your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, your plans? Or are you going to let disappointment prevent you and you're going to hold on tight to these things? And not let God enter your life in a fresh way. Well, don't let that be the case. Let this song be a prayer coming from your heart in response to this. God knows your need. And it's greater than a boost. It's a life transformation.
Would you stand with us as we continue in song? So here Jesus is. He's talking to these two men, telling them that the Bible had the Bible tells that these things had to happen. He gives them not what they want or think they need, but what he knows they need. That this was all a part of God's plan. Jesus' death never took God by surprise. In the Garden of Eden, when sin first entered this world, God had a plan to deliver humanity. So the cross was no mistake. And Jesus is showing these two travelers that the whole Bible tells that this is the way it was supposed to happen. It says in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. People have often said, it would be really nice to have been in on that conversation. I'd like to hear what he had to say. And in some ways, the book of Luke is that conversation unfolding. Because indeed, Jesus lived a life according to the way the Bible said he would. Well, these two men and Jesus arrive in the village of Emmaus. They've completed their seven-mile journey through the dusty roads leading from Jerusalem there. But if you remember, Jesus joined their conversation. He wasn't necessarily going to their house with them. So Jesus pretends to continue walking down the road and basically see you guys later and the two guys veer off. But the guys are thinking, man, this guy just gave us a whole new perspective on everything just happened. They're starting to make sense of all that we're feeling inside. We can't let, you, let him go down the path by himself. It's getting late in the day. When the sun sets, there's robbers and thieves on the road. Let's, let's persuade him to come. Have dinner with us. Maybe spend the night. He can leave first thing in the morning. That was not uncommon in this culture. So they begged Jesus. Of course, they didn't know it was him. They begged him saying, please, please stay with us. It's already evening. It's getting late. And Jesus, of course, is always in control. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll stay. I wonder if he gave them a hard time, you know. Like, no, no, no. But he ends up going home with them. And they're at the dinner table, ready to eat. There's some bread before them. This stranger picks up the bread, breaks it in half, and pronounces a blessing. Jesus had done that many times. Be it when he fed the 5,000 people, he broke, picked up the bread, and broke it before he did a miracle. When he fed the 4,000 men, he did the same. Even at the Last Supper, he picked up the bread and broke it and gave a blessing. Jesus did this frequently. And at that very moment, when Jesus did this in their home, their eyes were opened. They saw him. I can you imagine their hearts? They saw him. It was Jesus alive in front of them. It all made sense. But no soon as they recognized him did he disappear from their sight. And they look to one another and they make this great statement there in verse 32. It says this, They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus is the best teacher this world has ever known. And they got a first-hand lesson of God's redemptive plan from him. 
their hearts burned within. But if you notice, they couldn't see Jesus until God opened their eyes. And that's a reality for all of us here. We cannot see God in a new light by our own efforts. Our hearts are distant. We're rebellious at heart. We're at enmity. We're at tension with God from our birth. And our own, on our own efforts, we cannot see God in this new light. God has to give us eyes to see. And he did that for these men there at home. So what was their response? What did these two men do? Well, the response was nothing small. It says, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Wait, wait, wait. they just told Jesus, Don't go, it's getting dark, it's dangerous out there. And then these two guys get up and do the thing they told them not to do. They saw it, and it was real. And they had to tell others. And when you see Jesus to be your risen Savior, you can't keep it quiet. You've got to get up and tell people so that they can have life. So they rush to Jerusalem. They know where to go, where all the others were gathered. And they go in, guys, guys, we saw him, we saw him. And to their surprise, they respond, he, re- he, he revealed himself to Peter. Peter saw him too. And then they started exchanging stories. You ever do that to someone? You guys have something in common? You start exchanging the stories and you're excited to tell them. And these people were just thrilled. Jesus is alive. You saw him. They saw him. They saw him. It's, it's, he's, he's alive. And as they were talking, verse 36 says this, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Oh, you think they'd bow down and sing praises. Hallelujah. That wasn't their response. Look at verse 37. They were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. The very thing they've been hoping for is finally standing in front of them and they don't believe it. And Jesus, again, the knower of all of our hearts, knew what they were thinking. And he says it there in verse 38. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? They still doubted. He's standing in front of them. So many of us are like this today. All the evidence can be weighed in front of us, but we still doubt. Sometimes we doubt because life is good. I don't need God. I've got the car I want to drive. I live in the home I want to live in. Got a good career. I've got respect at work, respect with the buddies. I've got it all together. God's good for that person, but I don't need him. Self sufficiency makes doubt arise. No matter how overwhelming the evidence is. Dear friends, Jesus is alive. The Pharisees themselves told Pilate to send some soldiers to guard the tomb because they knew that Jesus said he'd raise from the dead three days later. And then when he rose from the dead three days later, the soldiers came and said, hey, it happened. And then the Pharisees paid these men off and said, well, when someone asks you, tell them the disciples stole the body. That's what Matthew tells us. But guess what? If you were a disciple and you stole the body, would you die for that lie? All of the apostles were martyred, were 
killed for their faith except for John, the, John, uh, the, the brother of James, and he was exiled on an island for his life. Would you die for a lie that you created? Jesus is alive. He walked 40 days on this earth after his resurrection. No one said, no, that wasn't the case. He appeared to more than 500 people. Testimonies corroborated. Tell me, if these things didn't match up, would we be here today 2,000 years later? His brothers believed in him. I've got a brother. If he claimed to be Jesus, or claimed to be God, I wouldn't believe him. I know him. (laughs) Jesus' brothers didn't believe him in his lifetime. And he died. But guess what? When the book of Acts comes up, his brother James is leading the church in Jerusalem. What happened? Yeah, my brother claimed to be God. He died. Now I'm going to believe him. Unless James himself saw him raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he appeared to James, his brother. And then Paul says, then he appeared to me. My friends, Jesus is alive. Why do doubts rise in your heart? We're here today because he is still changing lives. Don't let doubt prevent you from coming to him. Someone once said that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. He's either a liar because he claimed to be God, and if he wasn't, he's lying. He's either a lunatic because he claimed to be God, and if he's not, dude's crazy. But if he claimed to be God, walked as God, lived a life that validated this fact, died and rose again, then he's Lord. What is the decision of your heart? Jesus really is alive. Look what he tells them. Verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. I've got flesh. There's bones here. You can feel me. Verse 40. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Look at verse 41. And while they were still while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? He's got an appetite. They gave him fish. He ate it. It didn't fall to the floor. It went into his stomach. He is a resurrected body, not a spirit. It says, While they, were still, while they still believe, disbelieved for joy, what does that mean? How do you disbelieve for joy? I think they're doing one of these. Don't believe it. There's an unbelief and it's a, this is real. He is here. I'm, I'm holding his arm right now. Jesus is alive. We often let a heart of disappointment prevent us from turning to God. We often let a heart of doubt prevent us. But the facts are there before us. And the only thing is, a blind heart that can't see. Would you let God remove that blindness from your eyes today? Would you let the joy of the Lord roll those things away and give you life? That's our prayer. And in just a moment, there's going to be a dance to a song that talks about this. About having eyes to see God. Let Him remove the blindness 
that we might see His glory. And as you listen to the lyrics and you watch the dance, let that be a prayer in your heart. God, show me how there's doubt in my heart. How am I not letting myself come to you, God? What are the things holding me back? And if indeed you want Him to change your life, would you ask Him to do that? And during this song, we're going to have our ushers come forward. And if you can do that here in just a moment. And we're going to receive a morning offering. If you're a visitor today, please feel no obligation to give. If you would like to give as a response, we'd love that. But don't feel an obligation. For those of us who give, please be an act of worship, an act of joy, even a response. And let our hearts be lifted up as we continue to meditate upon these things. Would you bow with me in prayer? Dear Jesus, roll away the doubts. God, we pray that you will continue to work on all of our hearts. And God, as we continue our celebration, be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So there Jesus is in the room with his disciples. They've touched him. They see him. They see the wounds. They saw him eat. Why are all these things taking place? Why, why did Jesus really have to die? I mean, really. Why did Jesus have to suffer the way he did? Why was he placed in a tomb? Why did he raise from the dead? The disciples had many questions and they're trying to piece me all these things together. It's like drinking out of a fire hose. And here Jesus states it so plainly to them in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, about me, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is saying, the Old Testament talks about me and I had to fulfill everything it says. And in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's a close connection between our heart and our mind. What we know of God moves our hearts. And though our hearts are in turmoil often, we know what we know of God is steady. And Jesus opened their minds <clears throat> excuse me, for this very thing. In verse 46, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Jesus is saying, I had to die. I had to be placed in a tomb. The stone was going to be rolled there, and yes, the stone, the stone was going to be rolled away. I was going to come up from the grave as I did. And now because I conquered death, those who trust in me don't need to die in eternity. 
I bore the sin of humanity. Jesus paid for our sins. And now we don't have to suffer the consequences of our failures before a just and loving God. We can stand before a God of holiness in all of eternity, although we ourselves are not holy people. Imperfect can dwell now with perfect because Jesus took our place. He died on our behalf. And he says that forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, along with repentance, a turning away from our sins. God offers forgiveness from all the pride that's in our hearts. Forgiveness from the greed that you have in your heart. From the lust that is in your heart. From the arrogance, from the gossiping, from the slandering, from the thief, the, the, the stealing. All these things, God offers forgiveness to those who repent, which means to turn away from sins. Not simply saying, God, I'm really sorry, I don't want to do it again, and you do it again tomorrow. It's a repentance, it's a turning away. And God offers forgiveness to all who trust in Him. Will you do that? Or will you let disappointment, despair, doubt get in the way? Or will you be like the little boy in the story where he had a heart condition and had to get open heart surgery? Surgery went well. The boy woke up and the doctor was there. The surgeon, in fact, the heart surgeon. And the little boy asked him and said, did, did you see him? And the surgeon wondered, you mean your parents? They're in the lobby. I'll go get them. You're, you're waking up. And the little boy said, no, 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 no. Did you see him there? He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you opened my heart, didn't you? And he said, yes. Well, I asked Jesus into my heart. Did you see him there? And the doctor smiled. And a childlike faith is what God wants of us. Perhaps we don't understand everything. But is there room in your heart or does doubt, disappointment, or are you holding on to your self-sufficiency? Is that pushing God away? Or would you trust in Him? You see, the disciples didn't stay at disappointment and doubt. Yes, they had those two things. We've seen that already. But they responded to Jesus. And we see that there in verse 50. Jesus had been on the earth for 40 days and now he was going to ascend to the heavens with his Father. Verse 50 says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. You see, they didn't stop, stay at disappointment and doubt. They didn't, they didn't let their hearts be that. But they let God roll away their heart of disappointment, roll away their heart of doubt as He rolled away the tomb and give them a heart of worship. And they worshipped Him, it said. And they just worshipped Him. They worshipped Him and He went on with great joy. They went on with great, great joy. There are some of us today who don't know that great joy. And perhaps you believe in Jesus. There is, you don't doubt He rose from the dead and you're wondering, why don't I have that joy? Well, are you living a life to worship Him? See, the disciples understood that. 
That Jesus was worthy of worship. Jesus is worthy of worship. And when we give our lives to Him, surrender all that we have, great joy flows from that. A life surrendered to God truly is the greatest life to live. And these men were filled with joy. You received the rock when you came in. I want you to pull it out. Let this rock represent your heart. What is the condition of your heart? I asked you that question to open up and now we come back to it. Is your heart hard toward the things of God? Is your heart calloused by sin? Living a life of compromise? trying to have it both ways, right in the fence, loving God here, not loving Him there. You see, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27 say this. This is God speaking. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God is the expert in changing hearts. He can take the heart of stone that is within you right now and give you a heart of flesh. God can take all of the past, all the the junk that you have in your past, all those things that you want people to know about, that give you a calloused heart, a disappointed or doubting heart, offers you forgiveness and a new life in Him. Perhaps today you need this stone to represent a repentant heart. We need to come back before God and say, God, I know who you are. Jesus, I believe in you. I know you've risen from the dead. My life has not reflected that. I don't worship you. I don't have great joy and I want that again. Or maybe this this rock is a reminder of where your heart was. And today you're sitting here just overjoyed that God has given you a new life. And what I want us to do in these next few songs, I want you to prayerfully consider standing up and coming forward and putting a rock in either this bowl or that bowl. As a representing, saying, God, I don't want the heart of stone anymore. Or God, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Today. Or God, I worship you because this rock is not me anymore. I've got a heart of flesh. Would you consider that today? Don't be afraid. Don't let the people around you distract you. This is you and God at this moment. What response is He calling of you today? Is there disappointment? Do you doubt even though evidence is way before you? Will you let God roll those away and give you a heart of worship, a heart of flesh? I want to ask our prayer counselors to come forward to my right and my left and also some to be in the back to the right and to the left. So come do that now. And as you come forward to put a rock down, don't hesitate to pray with somebody. If it's something that you just want to sing a praise to God and have someone just pray with you out of joy, do that. They want to celebrate with you. 
you want someone to pray with you because you know that you need to turn your life around, that you are a son or a daughter of God, you're not living like it, would you put the rock forward and pray with someone? Or if today you want to place your trust in Jesus for the first time and you want Him to enter your life and give you a heart of worship, would you do that today? Don't be afraid. Tomorrow's not promised. And what we sing out to God, these songs, and give Him the praise that He deserves. Would you stand and prayerfully come forward as the Lord leads you and as we sing? And so letting God be the one to do it will. I pray that today this wouldn't be a two-week boost, a two-week recommitment or commitment, but there will be life change here. That God would truly come into your life and give you a new one. Jesus offers forgiveness. He offers hope. He offers healing. And today it's my prayer and it's our prayer that we would all know that in the most intimate way. We're going to continue our worship. If you haven't come forward yet to bring this rock, this heart of rock forward, would you do that and not be shy? If you've been wanting to be prayed for and haven't done it yet, we're going to sing a few more songs. Come and be prayed for. And as we celebrate, let us remember that Jesus paid it all. And in response, we have our lives to live.